You're listening to a year of spiritual formation. Each episode will share a message covering an aspect of our eight doctrinal focuses for the year. In addition, each series will include a bonus episode of Ask a Theologian, where Pastor Dave will sit down with a theologian to have a conversation about the series topic. Listen in for our fourth episode in God Unveiled, where we learn how God is giving. called God Unveiled. God Unveiled. And we are learning about the character of God. And so I'm going to get straight into scripture because I can already tell I'm in a rambling mood. So let us focus in. We're going to go to Genesis 1, 26 to 28. This is a part of our origin story or the story that describes where we came from and who our God is. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Everything that has life. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. So this morning, the title for my message today, for all you note takers, which I know are mostly the youth in here. Yes, I see. No, okay. Gracie has. Yes, thank you. We have a note taker. She wins. Also bonus points in heaven. I should stop giving out bonus points in heaven. Let's just leave that to Jesus. So the title for this morning is God the Giver. God the giver. So imagine this scenario. You're at a coffee shop with a friend, or maybe you're sitting on a couch uh, watching the game, and you have a conversation with your friend that goes something like this. Hey, you grew up in a Christian home, right? Yep, sure did. But you're like not a Christian, correct? Nope. Like I believe there's like a God and all, or some sort of supernatural force, but the God of the Bible, not for me. Oh yeah, why, why is that? Well, it seems like God just wants to take everything from me, right? There's a lot of scriptures that talk about in order to follow him, we have to give up our life, die to ourselves, how we have to love him more than anything else. I mean, if God is all powerful and can do anything he wants, why does he want me to give him everything I have? My plans, my money, heck, even some of my hobbies. It seems selfish. Why would I want to give my whole life to follow a God who just wants to take everything from me when he doesn't even need it? Does that conversation sound potentially realistic to any of you? Would you know how to respond to that friend? Or perhaps this morning you actually, (laughs) you relate a lot more to that friend. Right? You, maybe you know you're here today and you know that you're supposed to believe that God isn't selfish. You're supposed to believe uh, that God isn't a taker, but you're not actually convinced. Right? So this morning, we are going to look at the question, is God primarily a giver in nature or is he a taker? Would you just join me as I pray before we continue? God, I thank you uh, for the privilege and the ability to talk about you, to teach about you, to gather together with your family and your people. 
And I ask God this morning that uh, more than just words that are heard, God, that you would open up spirits and eyes and hearts to understand you and to see you more for who you actually are. God, I ask that you would do the true work this morning. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as I said, we're part of this God Unveiled series, talking about who God is. And it's because our belief in who God is will dramatically impact our relationship with him. And whether we believe that God is primarily a taker in nature or primarily a giver in nature will absolutely impact the decisions that we make. It'll impact our prayer life. It'll impact how we represent God. That's why it's super important to take a moment to identify what it is we believe about God and to see if maybe something went wrong somewhere. Maybe we need to assess where things are true and where they are not and make some adjustments or allow some healing to take place. So to help us along, I, I created some clues to identify where you're at. So here are some clues to identify if maybe in your core you believe God is actually a taker. So one, it's very difficult to be generous with money or material items. Two, you want to trust him, but you're pretty sure you're going to have to take care of yourself in this life. Three, you don't seek God's advice or guidance in prayer. He might ask you to give up something that you don't want to. Four, you aren't convinced uh, it's in your best interest to follow God 100%. Or five, your walk with God is lacking in joy. If all those things are true, or most of those are true, there is a chance that internally in your core, you actually believe God is a taker. Now, here are some clues to identify that you believe that God is first a giver. It's instinctual to be generous and give when you can meet a need. You bring all your major decisions to him in prayer and seek wisdom. You feel the most alive and the most joy when you know that you are walking in his will. You're okay with waiting, right? You have accepted the necessity to endure sometimes and to press on because you know God is aware of your situation and is working on your behalf. And finally, you don't have trouble feeling hope. If many of those statements ring true, there's a good chance that in your core, you believe God to be a giver. Right? So don't raise your hand, but where, what resonates with you this morning? Where do you fit in that? And maybe it's right in the middle. Maybe it's somewhere in between. Um, if you grew up in church, you may be familiar with the song, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of... Yeah, that song. And there's this line in that song, and it goes, um, you give and take away... I can't hit the notes now. You give and take away my whole truth. Say, bless be your name. I want to be Alex when I grow up. It's fine. Uh, but it's you give and take away. My heart will choose to say, blessed be the name. Now, personal confession, I have a little bit of a problem with that line, a little bit of a problem with the song, not because it's totally false, but because to me that line gives the uh, impression that God is equally a giver and a taker, that God is equally inclined to do both. Uh, but that statement you give and you take away, 
Uh, it comes from scripture in Job 121, and it comes from a prayer found in Job. And this prayer takes place uh, by Job after he had the worst day imaginable. He lost his kids, his servants, his wealth. He lost everything in one day. And in this moment of grief, he turns to God, which is impressive in and of itself. And he turns to God and he cries out and he says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And this is an incredible prayer in grief because Job is acknowledging that despite what has just happened, he still believes God to be sovereign and in control. And in this moment where all this horrific stuff has happened, he just, he feels like God has just taken everything from him. That's what it feels like. Now we know from behind the scenes and from the preceding chapter that God wasn't actually the one to take all these things away. Right? We know that God uh, actually allowed Satan to do all this taking. It was Satan who is the taker through and through. Right? John 10.10 clearly says that um, the devil, it is the devil who is the thief and he has come to steal, he has come to kill, and he has come to destroy. Right? It is the devil who comes to take our joy, he comes to take our peace, our hope, our security. He wants to take all that is good. Now in Job's case, uh, God didn't stop Satan. So I'm not implying here that God had nothing at all to do with Job's suffering. But it was the devil who ultimately took away Job's children, his wealth, his security. And the devil meant that for evil. The devil meant to humiliate Job. The devil meant to prove God wrong. And God in his sovereignty, he let this play out. But it wasn't because uh, God's heart or God's will for Job was to take everything away from him. No, God knew that the blessing that he was going to give Job later on would, you know, make all the loss pale in comparison, right? God let Satan take knowing that what he was going to give would far outweigh the loss, right? God was going to put Satan to shame with his generosity towards Job, our God is a giver first and foremost. But Pastor Kimberly, that's you guys talking, but Pastor Kimberly, what about things like when Jesus was on earth, he called his disciples to leave their homes and their family and, and their vocations for the sake of the gospel. What about that? In Mark 10, 29, or what about when Jesus said, you have to take up your cross to follow me? Matthew 16, 24. Aren't those examples of God wanting to take from us? And I totally get that conclusion. But if we read more than just those singular verses, which is essential to understanding scripture, by the way, if we read more than just those isolated verses, we discover when God calls us to lay things down, it is in order so we can receive something more valuable. Right? When God says to us, let that go, it is for our good. Right? The Apostle Paul in Philippians 3.8, he put it like this. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. For his sake, I have suffered loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. But it's in order that I may gain Christ. Yeah. On a very like crude level, I understand this concept as a parent, 
Like, oh my goodness, right now I'm at the phase with my toddler that if I allow him to have screen time, uh, no matter how much time he gets, the moment screen time is over, there is so much anguish. There is so much grief. There is so much accusation. Like, don't you even love me? I have only watched seven episodes of Paw Patrol, and it's like you have taken away everything I cared about. But it doesn't matter to Everett if I'm trying to convince him, like, we're pausing this so we can go to your cousin's house so you can play with cousins and have snacks and watch TV there. He doesn't get that. He doesn't get that. But while Jesus was on earth, he absolutely, I will not deny it, he absolutely says we got to lay some things down, we got to let things go. He also says, do not fear. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It makes God happy to give us the good things of the kingdom. We have a good and loving God who is always in the motion of giving. You know the writer of Hebrews actually says, uh, I can't remember where it is, but he actually says that it is a requirement of the Christian to believe that God exists, and to believe that God is a rewarder for those who pursue him. God unselfishly seeks our ultimate welfare. It is in his nature to be generous, and this is how it has been from the very beginning. Right In that earlier coffee shop conversation or anecdote that I opened with, that friend mentioned uh, that God is all-powerful and he doesn't need anything. And that's true. That's true. Earlier in the series, Pastor Dave uh, spoke a great message on God, the creator. And because God is creator, it means he doesn't need anything we could produce. He already owns it all. He doesn't need our stuff. God doesn't need slave labor. In a sense, he he wasn't even lacking companionship. Pastor Josiah preached last week about how God himself, as, as a Trinitarian God, is a relationship. So he wasn't like completely alone and just needed someone to compliment him. Right? So if we weren't created because God was lonely or because God needed us to do stuff, why would he bother creating us? Why would he bother creating this beautiful earth? Why would he bother creating you know, love and laughter and delicious food? Why? He created us because he is a giver. It is in his nature to give. And we literally exist the way that we do because God is a giver. When we turn back to the opening scripture in Genesis, uh, where we find the origin story of mankind, we see the progression of God creating aspects of the universe and the world and declaring it's good. He creates land and light and vegetation and plants. He's like, this is good, this is good, this is good. And then he comes to creating humanity. And again, I'll just read part of that again. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them. So in the very uh, creation moment of man and woman, in the very creation moment of human beings, God gives himself. Right? The first thing he gave us was his image. Right? The God of this universe is so secure in himself that he was okay with making a species, for lack of a better word, that resembled himself. Right. I, honestly, if I was God and I was creating a species for selfish reasons, like I'd ha- let them have certain skills, but I don't know if I'd make them too much like me. 
right? But, but to create us, God actually decided to give part of himself. Right? Us human beings, we are, uh, we are rational beings who can reason and we can make decisions. And that's a reflection of God's intellect, right? God is relational, so we are relational. Right? God is holy, so we, we um, were born in righteousness and we were born um, with, the, with a conscious right? God gave us himself by giving us his image. You know, I was thinking about uh, us humans and how uh, the scientific evidence is quite clear that being generous has positive effects on our mental and emotional and physical well-being, right? The overwhelming trends in research shows that generosity is linked to increase of happiness, longevity, reduction of stress, positive moods, social bonds, all kinds of things. Overall, the evidence is very strong that genuine generosity leads to a more fulfilling and healthier life. And of course, we know this to be true separate from data from Acts uh, 20.35, where it says it's more blessed to give than to receive. But when I consider this, when I consider all the evidence of how good it is for us to be generous, and then I consider that we know from Genesis that we were made in God's image, then if we thrive when we give, wouldn't that also be in the very nature of the one who created us? Right? Giving is a characteristic of God that he passed down to us. Right? And we would never know the joy of being generous. We would never know how to be generous if he wasn't first generous with us. Right? God gives himself. All right, so moving on, uh, Genesis 2-7, we're given a picture of God forming Adam, and, and it says God gave him life by sharing his own breath. There's another indicator of God giving of himself. But now man and woman, they're actually designed, they're created, they're alive, and now that they actually exist, notice that the first thing God does is not actually take something from them, but he blesses them and gives to them again. He says this, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and govern it, let them have dominion over the fish in the sea, birds in the sky, animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant through the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. In this Genesis account, we learn of a God who creates the world and creates humankind. And then he decides to give them authority and dominion and power to use in the very creation he just made. It's like one of the byproducts of being created in his image. It's like with that came some of the authority and the dominion and the power that was God's. Right? And the first point of focus um, in this passage is that God gives authority. God gives authority. And this morning, I like to think of authority as the right to do something, the right to do something. Right? God, obviously, he is God. He is the right to do anything he wants. He has all the rights. But he decided not to just keep those from himself. He actually decided to give some of his rights away. And it is an incredible thing when we realize that when we submit ourselves to God's authority, he gives us his authority. It's crazy. When our uh, resident officer, Neil, who loves being the center of attention, when he is in uniform, in a way, he is submitting himself to the guidelines of the RCMP, right? And when he submits himself to that, he then receives the authority to do some things if needed that the rest of us can't do. 
Now, I am telling you, on a daily basis, I would like to arrest people. Daily. I would like to hand out tickets. Hourly, actually. That would be my preference. Or just put people in the back of the car and shut the door and make them stay there. Like, that sounds amazing to me. But I cannot do that. <laughs> I cannot do that because I don't have the authority to do that. I don't have the right to do that. I don't. But when Neil represents the RCMP, he gains their authority and what he can and cannot do. Right? And when we become God's ambassadors, right? when we put on our uniform, aka become a Christian, God gives us the authority to do the types of things that he would do. Right, so we have the authority to make decisions on his behalf. We have the authority to give orders on his behalf. We have the authority to act on his behalf, to represent him in this earth, to carry out his purposes. A reverence uh, that I love regarding this is in 2 Corinthians 10.8, where it talks about how God has given us authority to build each other up. Or in Luke 10, 19, Jesus says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Right. God gives authority. God gives us authority to go into the world and to partner with him to make disciples, to baptize, to teach, to cast out demons, and to overcome the power of the enemy and to take care of his creation. Right. God gives authority. Yeah. Returning again to Genesis, when we see God giving mankind himself, we see God giving mankind authority. And then we come across this word dominion. Dominion. I don't know why it got deep, but that just dominion. Genesis 1.28, let them have dominion over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Right, God gives dominion. God gives dominion. So this word dominion uh, in this passage uh, is the Hebrew word rada. I have no idea if that, how it sounds. I feel like if I roll the R, it sounds legit. So it's the Hebrew word rada. And it is a royal word. It is a royal word that often refers to the rule of a king. So we find the same word rada or dominion in Psalm 72.8. Uh, it was originally, which was originally a coronation psalm for King Solomon. And it goes like this, may he have dominion, may he have rada from sea to sea. And a couple of verses later, we see what this dominion is to look like. He delivers the needy when they call, the poor and those have no helper. He has pity on the weak and needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. That is what the dominion of a king was to look like. So while in our time and culture, uh, perhaps the word dominion uh, brings to picture the mind of a harsh, controlling leader, or maybe like a metal band. I, when I looked up dominion, uh, the CD cover for a, a band named Dominion, it's cool, guys, don't worry about it. Uh, so while in our time and culture, the word dominion may not have the most positive connotation, that's where I'm going with, we know that the word in Genesis actually implies responsibility more than anything else. It implies protection. In Genesis 2, 4 to 25, we read that one of our responsibilities as human beings is to till the land and keep it. So dominion is not so much ownership and control, but rather stewardship and caretaking. 
right? God gives us the responsibility to take care of all of creation, all the different aspects of it. That's like me building a brand new house and then giving the key to my kids, which are two, seven, and nine, by the way. Right? Like, and it would be naive of me to think that if I gave them this responsibility, they wouldn't mess a few things up. And I'm pretty sure that when God gave us dominion, he was aware we would mess a few things up in creation. But it's like, even though he knew we would mess up, he gave us the responsibility nonetheless. He gave us dominion nonetheless to see what we would do with it, how we would use it, what we would create with it, how we would steward. If we truly believe that God has given us this responsibility, it changes so many things in the area of justice, in the area of the environment. God gives dominion. Okay, furthermore, God didn't just give us himself. He didn't just give us authority. He didn't just give us dominion. But he also gave us the power to do what we need to do. Right? If this morning we're thinking of authority as the right to do something and dominion like the, the jurisdiction, then power is the ability to do something. And God gives power. Right? The world around us needs followers of Jesus who are humble, who are in the posture of humility, but are truly empowered, truly empowered by God. Right? If it is our job to influence those around us with God's love and his truth, if it is our job to set captives free, to bring hope, we are going to need power to do it. Right? We need power to be his witnesses. We need power to build his kingdom here on earth. And God is willing to give us that. In fact, all through scripture, from the the early passage we're looking on in Genesis to when Jesus was walking on the earth to when the Holy Spirit was released, it appears that God is completely into exhibiting his power through those who trust him. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Where Ephesians 1.19-22 I pray that you will know how great his power is for those who put their trust in him. It is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Now, I'm the first to admit it can be difficult walking in the power of God sometime. I have not recently raised anyone from the dead. Um, And sometimes I do wonder, you know, What is the automatic trick to accessing such power? Like, is there a phrase or a passcode when I need it? Just be like, power, go. Like, I don't know. But I do realize that one of the main hindrances is that by default, we get so caught up in our own ability to do things and our own concept of how things should be done that we stop seeking God as our source of strength and power. Right, this concept reminds me a little bit, for those of you who have kids, or maybe of those of you who just own electronic devices, we have a lot of electronic battery-powered toys that are great at first, but when the batteries start dying, it's like, it's not good. Like, you have any of those books that you hit the buttons, and it's like, at first they sing, and then suddenly it's like, like, so anyways, we have this dog that walks. I think my dad got it for my daughter. 
uh, or Everett. It's this puppy dog, and it sings songs and walks, and it's adorable. Um, it, the song that sings most is Skidamarinky-dinky-dink, that one. Well, when the batteries start getting weaker, when it starts losing its power, it is not a cute puppy. No, it is like this sort of distorted, possessed robot thing that makes noises that are incomprehensible. Right? It is, it is awkward and it is creepy. And, but if, if we can just plug that thing in, right? if we can just get it connected back to its source of power, it'll function again how it is supposed to be and I will be less unsettled at the night hours. And we humans, we lose our strength, right? We, we find ourselves in positions of weakness. We get awkward. But the good news is that being weak, being in a weak state is not a problem as long as we take the time to plug ourselves in to the source of power. Right? In fact, the power of God is exercised best through our weakness. It is the most obvious during our times of weakness. We receive his power when we say, okay, God, I'm going to take my hands off for a moment. I'm going to stop, and I'm going to turn to you. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Man, even when we are weak, if we turn to him and set our hearts to do what he's asked us to do, he will give us power. God gives power. Right? This may not result in the ability to fly or read minds, unfortunately. But he will give us the power to show the world who he is. Right? He will give us the power to build his kingdom here on earth. One of my favorite scripture verses is found in 1 Corinthians 4.20, and it's, For the kingdom of God is not just a matter of talk, but of power. God gives power. Thanks for tuning in to a Year of Spiritual Formation podcast. To learn more about C3 Church in Central BC or for additional resources, head to c3church.ca.